Well, good morning, and thank you to our choir and our song leaders for that amazing song service this morning. Um, giving our thanks, giving up to our Lord, our gratefulness, and our gratitude. <clears throat> he deserves all of that. And we've been in a series for the last several weeks on stewardship. And I've been reading through the Gospel of Luke this year. That's an area that I have um, <clears throat> uh, chosen to focus in my personal time with the Lord. And these messages have come together out of um, a sense of stewardship uh, for all that we are, our total being. You know, the Hebrews look at uh, human existence from a totality kind of picture. It's every part of our lives. So today we want to look at a portrait of a thankful leper. I didn't do that. <clears throat> um, so uh, this summer I read a book by Philip Yancey entitled Soul Survivor, S-O-U-L, Survivor. And it's a, it's a caricature of his life and his journey in faith and how he struggled with different aspects of his faith in the contemporary church. But it focused, one chapter uh, was focused on Paul Brand. And I had heard the name of Paul Brand before. He was a surgeon, British surgeon, who grew up in India. I think his parents were missionaries. And he married um, uh, uh, another doctor. And together they came to a town called Carville, Louisiana. And he spent the last third of his life doing surgery on people that were lepers and because of their leprosy, they had become debilitated. You know, leprosy, it's called Hansen's disease. Now, <clears throat> uh, with lepers, they often lose their feeling in their extremities. And so they injure themselves, and these injuries then get infected, and they, they can't feel the infection, the pain. In other words, it's a problem of no pain. And Yancey and Brand wrote a book together called The Gift of Pain, a very unusual way to look at pain, but without the sensation that something is injured in your body, then you don't know that there's something wrong. So the, the lepers would injure their hands, and Brand actually discovered a way to replace tendons, actually relocate tendons in the body to give lepers the ability to use their hands again. He pioneered this surgery right here two hours away from us in the only leprosarium in the continental United States. Well, lepers were actually legally prohibited, even in this country, back in the 1800s, from going out into public because it was contagious. Now, we've controlled, we've learned with medicine how to control leprosy now. So they shut the leprosarium down in the 1980s, and it, they moved the museum to Baton Rouge, and so the hospitals now take care of 
anyone who contracts this dreadful disease. But back even 100 years ago, think about that, less than 100 years ago, even in this country, if you had leprosy, you were an outcast. In fact, the first group of lepers were smuggled by some compassionate people. They put them on a barge because they couldn't go out into public and, and go on public transportation. So they put them on a barge and took them up to Carvel where they lived their life out. And the, the Catholic nuns actually built that compassionate place and gave these people a community and a place where they would be cared for compassionately for the rest of their lives. So today, it's important that we understand what leprosy is. I mean, it's really, uh, it, as a modern disease, we've, we've gained control of it, the doctors have, but uh, even in our recent history, it was an issue even in this country. Well, there's another leprosarium that was on, in Hawaii, and I want to show you a picture of a fellow named Father Damien, and they're going to pull it up. Now, this is actually a retouched photo because his photograph was so hideous, I thought it would be distasteful, really, to show. But this is touched up a bit, and Father Damien was a Catholic priest who went to uh, serve the lepers in Hawaii at this leper, leper colony. And in the process, he contracted the disease and spent his life giving compassion to people who were outcast and marginalized by society. Now, we're going to go back and look at a story today. And for you to totally grasp the importance of this story. I wanted to show you that picture and to give you a little history. We have to do background, you know. We, we teach our students at the seminary. The first thing you do when you come to a passage is you work your background, get all the background information, and that's what this is. Leprosy in the first century, the people that we're going to read about in just a moment, Leprosy was probably a broad category of skin diseases. And there's debate over whether it was truly Hansen's disease or not. I'm not going to go into all of that. But Bach writes in his commentary that leprosy in the first century was a disease. It was a skin, all, any type of skin lesion, swollen areas on the skin. It, uh, psoriasis, lupus, ringworm, favus, and so forth was probably grouped into what these people had. But they were considered unclean by the Jewish community. So they were, by law, Jewish law, they had to go outside of the community. Now this meant they were outcasted. They had no way to gain a living, to secure food, lodging, clothing. In fact, the Old Testament even commanded that they had to wear rags so that people knew they were lepers. And if you were to come close, they were required by Jewish law to yell, unclean, unclean. Lest we think that they were too harsh and cruel in their day, let me ask you this. If somebody was known to come in on an airplane with Ebola 
right now today, what do you think our society would do? We would quarantine them, wouldn't we? Because it is a highly infectious disease, and when anyone comes in from an, uh, a country with known Ebola, we have to quarantine them for public safety. Well, that's the kind of analogy we're going to look at with these 10 lepers. They were outcasted, and when Jesus, the scripture tells us, in Luke 17, verse 11, he was on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus traveled along the border of Samaria and Galilee. We're not quite sure exactly where he was, but he came into a small village. And there were 10 men, verse 12, 10 men who had leprosy met him. Now notice that Luke tells us they stood at a distance. They are obeying the law of the day. They're at a distance and they called out with a great voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. It's literally the word for mercy. Have mercy on us. Now, if you think about this picture, Father Damien, these men in their rags and they're yelling unclean, and they have one shot at getting any hope at all for their miserable lives. Godet even says in his commentary, to have leprosy in this day and time, in Jesus' day and time, it was a living death. You get the picture. And they have heard that there is this man who can cure leprosy, a healer. And they have one chance, and they hear that he's coming through their village and they're begging for mercy. I remember one time there was a young man in a church that I pastored who became infatuated with explosives and he blew up a building. It was empty, but it caught the building on fire and he was arrested. And we had this young man who was like 17 years old. And I will never forget standing before a judge on his behalf. And I stood there, and I was in this courtroom with all manner of folks and full of lawyers. And, but we had about 30 people from our church, and we were trying to vouchify for this young man so he wouldn't go to prison. And I remember standing there before this judge, stern, staring me. We were eye to eye. And I stood there, and I began, my legs began to shake. I could feel my trousers <laughs> shaking from my knees. And I said to that judge, Your Honor, I'm here today to ask for mercy and not justice for this young man. And he was caught red-handed. He was guilty. And I pleaded our case that I felt that the church of the living God and our community could do better at rehabilitating this young man than prison. And the judge ruled in our favor. We were grateful. And he has since gone on to do well in life. Well, 
I know what it's like to ask for mercy for someone. But these men were begging for mercy for their own lives. They had one chance, and Jesus was it. Now, we're going to see that there's a, there's a concept here that if someone comes along and they're healing, it means to the Jews that the Messiah is coming. And John the Baptist even said in Luke 7, is this the one that we are expecting? And Jesus said, you go back and tell John the Baptist that the blind are being healed, the lepers are being healed, and so forth. All the signs were there that Messiah was on the scene. And these men probably knew that. And they came and they stood and they saw Jesus and they're respecting him. They stood afar off and they're obeying the law and they're crying out to Jesus for help. Now we could go back and do all uh, manner of research on numbers where the commandments numbers five you can read about the what the lepers had to do leviticus 13 they had to yell unclean unclean leviticus 21 they could not approach the altar of god so it meant it meant they were even cut off from any kind of worship this was their chance jesus have mercy on us so Jesus, in verse 14, when, when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, why would he say that? Well, Leviticus 13.38 says, when a man has a white spot on his skin, the priest is to examine him. So the priest is sort of a medical arbitrator to see if this person has been healed or not, <laughs> and if they can come back into society, back into the community once again. So that's why that law was given. In Leviticus 13, 49, it says the priest would declare whether even their clothing or the person was clean or unclean. So even their possessions had to be, had to be uh, observed by the priest and evaluated. Well, Jesus said, go show yourselves. And the scripture says, as they went, they were cleansed. Now, there was another fella in Luke that, that was healed from a distance. Remember the centurion. There was a healing there where Jesus spoke and the healing took place elsewhere. Well, these 10 men are leaving him. What's unusual about it is usually you are healed before you go to the priest. But as they're on their way, the healing takes place. I'm always amazed at how clever and genius that Jesus is in his teaching. <laughs> And so these 10 men are on their way to see the priest. Now, was it the, uh, the Jewish priest, the Samaritan priest? We'll get to that in a moment. But, um, but they're on their way, 
And then notice what happens. One of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice like we just did in our singing. And as uh, Pastor Rick was encouraging us to do, let's sing praises and honor and glory to God. This one leper turned around and he came back to Jesus and he lifted up his heart and his hands and his head to heaven and he praised God and then he fell down at the feet of Jesus and he thanked him. Now I would offer to you that thanksgiving is something that we have seemed to have lost in this our society around us today. People don't seem to be thankful anymore. How often do you hear people thank you? Or how often do we thank them for things they do? It's amazing how people respond when we thank them. Thanksgiving is a good thing. It's a biblical thing. And this man realized as they're on their way, he's been healed now think about Father Damien. What if you looked like that? What if you were outcast? And suddenly you looked and you looked as if you were a teenager again with beautiful skin and health and healing and vitality and your fingers are restored and you can walk and you feel feeling in your toes again. This man said, wow. I have been healed, and he turned, and he went back to Jesus, and he gave thanks. So Jesus is with this man, and Luke tells us, now you can almost miss this if you read too quickly, in verse 16, the man threw himself at Jesus' feet, he thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Now, what does that mean? Well, you remember the, the Good Samaritan, right? The story of the Good Samaritan, that the priest and the Levites didn't help the man, but the Good Samaritan stopped and helped him. Well, the Samaritans were shunned by the Jews. Now, they're, they're all the same descendants, but in Samaria, they're rather... Um, a mysterious group, but we get some information from Josephus. He's, he said that they were related to the Jews, but they were outcast at one of the exiles. And they, they intermarried with Canaanites. And so there's this thing in, in the biblical history books called the Samaritan Schism, where they get separated off, and when the Jews came back from exile, they would have nothing to do with them. So the Samaritans set up an alternate place of worship at Mount Gerizim. So they had a separate temple. They had a separate place of worship. They didn't look to Jerusalem. They looked to Gerizim and Shechem. So the Jews shunned them. But Jesus makes it a point that the only one of these ten that came back was a Samaritan. <laughs> now, those that the Jews looked down their nose at, because they don't look to Jerusalem, they look to Gerizim. I mean, that was the, one of the major contentions. They believed in the Pentateuch. They had their own Samaritan Pentateuch. They believed in the first five books of the, of the Old Testament, just like the Jews did. 
but the Jews hated them. But the one that came back was he was the lowest of the low. Not only was he a leper, but he was a Samaritan in the Jews' eyes. So then Jesus has this conversation with the Samaritan. He asked him three questions, and here are the questions. Jesus said, first of all, were not all ten cleansed? Now, friends, Jesus didn't need information. He's not asking that to say, what happened there? I, I thought I healed ten. He knows he healed ten. The question is for the Samaritan, and the question is really for you and for me. Because where do we stand in the story? Are we like the Samaritan, or are we like the other nine? You see, that's where these parables work. We place ourselves in the, in the story and decide where do we fit. So Jesus said, were there, were there not ten cleansed? Well, it's a rhetorical question. Of course they were cleansed. And Jesus knew that. So then he said, where are the other nine? And I will always remember, uh, I had privilege to serve with my grandfather, who I mentioned last week, and he used to tell me, he said, son, the greatest sin that there is, I believe, is the sin of ingratitude. When we are not grateful for what God has done for us, that is a terrible sin. And so, Jesus said, where are the other nine? Now, I pondered that. I sat in my office this week and I thought, well, I wonder where they really did go. Now, if, if I were a leper, I'd been cut off from my family, from my friends, from my community, from my synagogue and my temple worship. I would imagine they might have just said, hey, I'm, I, I can go home. I'm healed. I can go back and see my children and my grandchildren and my wife. And maybe they ran back home. Maybe they didn't even think about anything at all. Perhaps they didn't even think to thank. As I thought later in the week, I should have called this sermon, Think to Thank. <laughs> Maybe it didn't even cross their minds. And I started thinking, you know, I do that. There have been times when I find myself in the middle of a meal and think, Lord, I'm sorry, I, I didn't even pause to thank you for this food. <laughs> How many times do I fail to think to thank my God for what he has done for us. This week, Dr. Butler led us in faculty devotions, and he talked about Brother Lawrence, and I was so thrilled that you used him because this summer, uh, one of my summer readings, I, I read through Brother Lawrence. And he was uh, uh, a fellow from the 1600s who um, became a a monk, a priest, and uh, or I guess a monk, and um, very 
it's called, his book is called Practicing the Presence of God. And I have a little quote that I would love to share with you. Brother Lawrence said, in our conversation with God, we should engage in praising, adoring, and loving him incessantly for his infinite goodness and perfection. And his editor, who, put, who compiled his notes, said that he was one of the most thankful people he ever met. He would wash the pots and the pans and just thank God for the opportunity. <laughs> I mean, when was the, I did the dishes this morning, and I, I, I don't think I thanked the Lord for, the, for that. I mean, we fail to think to thank. And so Jesus asks this man, well, where are the other nine? Well, they obviously left, and they didn't come back to thank Jesus. And then Jesus asked the third question, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Now when I read that, I'm, I'm wondering, wait a minute, who's Jesus talking to here? The Samaritan has come back and praised God and thanked Jesus. He's at his feet, and Jesus is asking him this question. It's almost like one of those moments in the movie where the actor turns and speaks to us, the people watching the movie, almost like a narrator. And so he says, hey, is there no one who returned except this foreigner, this guy that everybody hates? Not only is he a leper, but he's a Samaritan, and he came back to give thanks and so that's the point. That's the point of the lesson. There are six sections. As I, I did my discourse analysis on this, I had six points. We'll get to the final one in a moment. But the point of the story is, do I think to thank God for all he has done? My goodness, I confess, I don't... Uh, I don't measure up to that. How many times in my life do I fail to show God, praise Him ceaselessly like Brother Lawrence and thank Him for what He has done? We just sang the song, How Can I Keep From Singing Your Praise? I wrote that down. I was sitting there, I thought, are there times that we don't sing his praise? Wow. I have a long way to go to learn how to do this. But may I get real practical for just a moment? I hope that in the couple of weeks that I've been here, I've earned the right and respect to share this with you. But how do we give thanks? How does, how does that apply? Well, I think it is in how we use our resources. Oh, we're back to stewardship. How do I steward my time? Hmm. That's the one thing we never get back, is it? 
I know there are places in the scripture where things we've lost things and, and God said in Joel that he would restore what the locusts had taken away. And I've seen God do that. We saw God do that in Katrina, didn't we? But how do I use my time? We have only 24 hours a day. And in that 24 hours, we have to work, we have family, we have friends, we have devotion time, we have service. How do I use my time? I would say to keep it all teased, make it memorable, <laughs> how do I use my talent? Now, under talent, there are abilities that God gives us. And then God takes us and he calls us to certain things, right? I remember when God called me to gospel ministry. I remember that very clearly. And he gave me this assignment. And I can't think of anything more awesome than to study the word of God and to teach it and to proclaim it. It just thrills me. I love the Bible. And the older I get, the more I love it. And I hope you do too. But how do we use our, all of our talents? We've seen our choir. We've seen our, our music ministry. We've seen folks that will serve as ushers. We have so many ways to serve here in our church. And church family, as we await for God's process in the interim as a pastor will be coming, and that person is out there, and we should be praying for our, our committees as they're organizing and beginning the process, and we begin the search for God to show us the next pastor for this flock, we need to make sure that we are investing our time and our talents in taking care of God's house in the interim until God brings the next under-shepherd. And we do have the great shepherd, Jesus, in the story, and he is saying, I will lead you, but let's get our hearts and keep our hearts in the right place. Let's be thankful. Let's continue the work. And so as a church, we have to keep that in mind. So our time, our talent, and also our tithe that's so critical. Now next Sunday we'll end this series, this mini-series, and, and I'm going to bring what I think is the, one of the greatest givers in all the New Testament besides the Lord, and we'll look at her next week, the widow, and we'll talk about tithing and what that means. But stewardship involves all of these areas of our lives, doesn't it? What I do with my time, what I do with my calling and my abilities, what I do with my finances. It's all very important. And it's really critical in this interim period that we remember with our pledges to our front gate and our tithes to God's work. I think all of that is rolled into this concept of thanksgiving. And I have often said the old-timey preachers used to preach. I heard my granddaddy preach it. I've heard other the, the revivalist preachers. They'll come in and they say, show me a person's check, checkbook and I'll, I'll show you what he or she values. 
All of these things are important. And as we, as we come to a time of invitation, it's important for us to just ask God, God, what, what would you have me to do? Show me where I can express my gratitude in a tangible way to you with what I say, what I think, what I do, what I give. And that stewardship, it's the whole person, isn't it? Well, Jesus asked these questions, and then he said to this man, rise and go. In other words, you are healed. You are an example of gratitude and thanksgiving. Go live your life. Come back into your community, back into your worship, and may peace be with you. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over as God restores everything we need. We give, we cannot outgive God. It's impossible to outgive him. And as we give, he gives back. It's an economy that the world does not understand. But it's God's economy. For with the measure that we use, it will be measured back to us. And that's the sermon. Father, we thank you for this incredible story about this man who was healed of this heinous, hideous disease. But Lord, for those of us who name Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have been healed from an even more heinous and hideous thing called sin. Jesus, you gave your life for us and when we accept you by faith you then give us even more you give us eternal life and the promise of heaven one day father we would ask like brother rick said a moment ago he hopes everyone in here names the name of jesus as lord and savior father we would pray if there is one or any who would come for the first time and say, you know, I, I like this Jesus I just heard about. And I want him to forgive me of my sin. Lord, this altar is open for you, for your people. Father, for someone else, whatever the decision might be. Father, we give this time to you and we thank you in Jesus' name for what you have done for us. We praise you and honor you. Amen.